Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us today. And if you've listened before, welcome back. I'm joined today by author, activist, poet, and educator Nejwa Zabian. Nejwa is known for her exploration of emotions, self-discovery, and personal growth through her written work, and she holds a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of Western Ontario. Nejwa is the author of six books, including her recent works, Welcome Home, Conversations on Letting Go, and The Only Constant, which will be coming out in March 2024. And she was also kind enough to reschedule this conversation when I lost my voice a few months ago. So Nejwa, thanks for joining me today. How are you doing? Good. I feel like we're talking at the perfect time. So it's okay that it didn't work out a couple months ago. As long as you're healthy and good, we're good to go. Yeah, that's true. And sometimes things just kind of work out that way. I've been looking forward to this conversation in part because we rescheduled for a while, because I think that there's just this beautiful flow to the last three pieces of work that you've done, right? Welcome Home explores these themes of self-discovery, finding what's true to us, then Conversations focuses more on what we need to release. And then along the way, we have to come to terms with the reality of change and upheaval. And these are really universal topics, right? They show up in everybody's life, but they've been particularly important to yours. So I would love to introduce some of your personal story if you're comfortable talking about it for people who might not know. It's so funny because every time somebody asks me to share my story, I start at a different place. Mm. I think with where I am today, my story begins with not knowing who I am for the longest time as a youngster, all I knew was that I felt this deep void. Mm. Like I was missing feeling like I belonged somewhere, feeling like I was important to someone, feeling like I was a priority to someone. Yeah. Like my earlier years were overtaken by that theme of I'm really trying to figure out who I am and I'm really trying to figure out what my place is in the world, what's right and what's wrong. What's okay for me to expect and what's not okay for me to expect? For example, is it okay for me to expect that I am prioritized or would expecting something like that mean that I'm not humble or that I'm asking for too much? I was trying to figure out whether the way I was feeling about myself, like that void that I had, was valid or not? Am I just being too sensitive or too needy? Or is this the way that life's supposed to be? And I'm, you know, I'm just not knowing how to navigate it. But as a little kid, or even as a teenager, you can have all of those thoughts flow through you, but you don't know how to put words to them. You just, you feel them. You feel like something's off. I was always reaching out for people to make me feel a certain way, to get validation from my parents, from the people around me. I never really had like a personality of my own. I would say my personality was a people pleaser. Like I would just, you know how a tree extends its roots to wherever there's water? That's what I was doing. I never realized that I could create that within myself, for myself. Because again, I'm too young. So then I moved to Canada when I was 16. So I was born and raised in Lebanon. Moved here at 16. And that turmoil became even more intense because now I was faced with a brand new culture. I was faced with a brand new way of living. I spoke English, but it wasn't the language I thought in. It wasn't the language that I spoke in all the time. So it, everything was so different. So I just felt like that turmoil, turmoil became so much worse. So I kind of resigned try, from trying to figure out who I am or what's right or what's wrong. And I was just like, I'm going to live on autopilot. Again, not knowing these words, I'm just going to live life however I'm told to live it. And I just kind of gave up. The tie-in to where I am today is that Back when I was in Lebanon, when I was 13, I started writing in my journal to give myself some hope. So then when I moved here at 16, feeling this huge shock of everything being different, I didn't want to write anymore because writing meant that I was feeling more intensely what I was going through and I, what I had gone through for so long up to that point. So I decided I didn't want to write anymore. So when I was around 22, 23, I started teaching and I had a group of students, my very first group of students 
were eight refugees from Libya. And at the time, there was war going on there. So I felt a connection to them because they were new, just like I was when I was 16. They were faced with all these challenges of trying to fit in and belong and exert who they were, feeling like they were powerless in that. And so when I saw that they needed that kind of advocacy and help, something inside of me just woke up and said, you need to help them, you need to empower them. So I started writing again, these short pieces to empower them. And I realized with time that I was, as I was helping them heal, I was helping my 16 year old self heal. And the rest is history. I've been writing since then. So I continued to answer that inner call that I had to write and express myself and feel my feelings and think my thoughts out loud. And the rest is history. Yeah, well, there's so much in that, right? Like for starters, those feelings of displacement that you're describing, mm-hmm. a uh, an external homelessness, literally mirroring a kind of internal homelessness. And there was something that you said that really stuck out to me. Uh, early on, you said something like, am I not being humble for asking for the things that I need? And I think that's actually a really common feeling that people have, particularly people who come from certain kinds of cultural backgrounds or are told certain kinds of stories inside of their family of origin. Uh, Was that a story that was really present for you, that asking for things makes you not humble? I would say it was a bit of everything. It was the family I grew up in. It was the culture I grew up in. It was the religion I grew up in. It was There was always an undertone of, always look to what you have and be grateful for it because you could not have it. Mm. You see it today when somebody complains, you know, my partner doesn't show me love or affection. Usually what they get in return from the person they're speaking to is, well, at least you have a partner. Mm -hmm. At least you have a good job. Like stop complaining about the things that don't really matter. You hear that now, everywhere. It doesn't matter which culture or religion you belong to, which family you were raised in. It's like there is an element of making you feel like wanting your basic needs to be met means that you are asking for too much or you are not grateful for what you have. If you ask for the basic things like having a conversation and feeling seen and heard and loved, you're made to feel like Those are things that are only for books and movies. Maybe you're watching too much TV or what are you complaining about? You have more than what most people around you have. And it's like, you know, I just recently, like relatively recently in my life, I don't mean the last two weeks or whatever, but over the last couple of years, I would say, I learned that neglect isn't just by you not getting the things that you need when you were younger. Like if your emotional needs weren't met, that's also neglect. And you're hearing that and you're probably like, yeah, that makes, of course, that makes sense. But it's like when it clicks in for the person, like, oh, I was neglected. But for the longest time, I didn't say that I was neglected because I had food on my table. I had a roof over my head. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's this really complicated space for people, particularly when we talk about things like complex PTSD, where the person knows objectively that there's somebody else out there in the world who has had it worse than they have had it, Mm -hmm. who went through even more difficult experiences than they did. Exactly, yeah. And so it becomes framed as complaining. Like, how can I possibly complain about these real things that really did have a negative impact on me when I know that other people had it worse? Why can't I just appreciate the things that I had? But pain isn't comparative, right? Like pain is individual. You feel what you feel. Uh, Your experiences don't get smaller just because there's somebody else across the world who had it worse. If it mattered to you, it really mattered. And it can be really difficult for people to work through that. Yes. So for people who are listening, a huge mental shift for me was, you can walk in someone else's story but make sure you don't step out of your own to walk in theirs. Mm, mm -hmm. Which means, yes, somebody could have had misfortunes in their life that you haven't experienced. Somebody's situation 
in a certain context could be worse than yours. You can empathize with them, but just make sure that as you're empathizing with them, you're not leaving your own struggles and experiences. If they're going through something worse, like you said, it's not a comparative thing. You're not comparing your experience to theirs. But again, it comes down to this narrative that we're fed that says, if you just look at it differently, it'll be better. But it's like, you don't want me to look at it at all. That's what you're trying to do. Again, give yourself the right to feel the pain of whatever it is that is causing you pain. That pain isn't coming out of you being too sensitive or too needy, or it's a, it's a pain that's coming out of you being responsive and being in tune with your body and with your experience. And that's a really good thing. That's what we hope that we get in our lives. And the fact that we are giving it to ourselves is incredible. So there's this line very early in conversations on letting go that I think really speaks to what you're talking about here. And I want to ask you about your personal journey with it. Mm -hmm. You can't shame your current self into becoming your authentic self. You love your current self into becoming your authentic self. Would it be possible for you to describe what those two paths looked like for you in practice? When you shame yourself into a certain change, it means that not only are you rejecting your current reality, but you're rejecting yourself. You're saying there's something wrong with who you currently are. Yeah. And to move towards a change, you are driven by wanting so badly to be far away from who you are now and where you are now. Mm -hmm. So it's fueled by self-hatred and self-rejection and self-abandonment. Yeah. You feel like being with yourself right now is a very wrong thing. And so you run towards a place where that wrong thing or that wrong person that you are doesn't exist. In navigating my change from being the good girl, you know, the the one who just always follows the rules, who never really speaks up if she's hurt in some way. You know, you get you get that message from people around you and sometimes in movies and shows that like the quiet girl who never complains, who's always self-sacrificing, who does everything for everyone, who puts everyone ahead of her, is the one who ends up being the hero at the end. And so I got to a point in my life where I realized that that was just not a noble thing to be a self-sacrificial person. The love I was getting from the people around me and from my community was very conditional on me being that self-sacrificial good girl. And so if I needed their help for something where I stepped a little bit outside of the boundaries that I was allowed to stay in, I was ridiculed. I was shamed by them. I was made to feel like something was really wrong with me and that I didn't deserve their support or their protection. My entire life, I thought fitting into this image of being a good girl meant that I had everyone's love and everyone's support. And the moment I needed everybody, most of them walked away from me because they made it my fault for not sticking to the image of being a good girl. And so it was the first time in my life, this was about six or seven years ago, that I was prompted to sit by myself in my loneliness because I felt abandoned by everyone around me to ask myself, what is it that I believe about myself and what kind of life do I want to live? And so I started looking at the way that people outside of my community were living. So for example, at the time I was covered, I used to wear the hijab, I used to live at home, I used to I used to be a very religious person. And it kind of blindly following what I was told was the right thing to do. And at this point, I started asking, what do I want? Do I believe that I should be wearing this? Do I believe that dressing however you want means something bad about you? Do I believe that living on my own 
would be a bad thing because in my culture, you stay at home until you're married. Mm. You know, I'm sitting there and I'm asking myself all of these questions. What do I believe is right and wrong for me? And I made those decisions for myself. And I would say they weren't shame driven. But a short while afterwards, I started feeling like the outer world that I hadn't belonged to in the past, so just Western Canadian society, still had some judgments about me because of certain things that I didn't do. For example, like not drinking or not eating pork. Like after thinking and thinking and thinking about it, I was like, well, if I do what they're expecting me to do, then I've fallen into the same pattern I did in the past, but just with a different group of people. So if I were to shame myself in a moment like that into changing, then that means now I'm going to start doing these things so I could leave this version of me that's existing right now, this person of choice who's broken out of one system of power, like I'm leaving her behind and saying, well, now it's time for you to leave all of this behind, leave this person of choice behind, this person who went through these big changes behind and run towards who you think they will like. And so I didn't submit to that. I decided that if I ever decide on a change for myself, it has to come from within and it has to come from me because I'm the one who wants to give it a try, not because I want to please anybody. If I love myself into becoming that person, then I'm always going to be that person and I'm going to grow and evolve. Whereas if I drove it with shame, I'm going further away from myself. Part of what you're speaking to here is that one of the things that we talk about on the podcast a lot is how change almost always brings us into conflict with the groups that we're a part of. Yes. Like systems seek to, uh, the technical way to say this is preserve their homeostasis. They want to stay the same. So when things stay the same, everyone gets to stay in the same roles and routines that they've become accustomed to, right? Even if those roles and routines are really problematic. And you're talking here about super powerful systems, right? Like the culture and religion you were brought up in, then this new system that you're trying to integrate into. That's a lot of pressure. And I'm wondering what supported you in making the changes that were meaningful to you, even in the face of all of that. At the time, I don't think I knew what supported me. But now that I think back, I think it was honestly tuning into myself Hmm. and listening to myself as opposed to falling for external pressure. Yeah. So when I went through my changes around six or seven years ago that I just talked to you about, I was so truly sick and tired of following rules that were placed on me by everybody outside of me, by not even the people themselves, but like centuries of people before them who led them to be this way. I was really, really sick and tired of that. And I just loved the feeling of self-leadership and making decisions for myself and realizing that power that I had within. And I think, again, in retrospect, what really helped that was as I was putting my writings out there, I had so many people from all over the world say, I feel the same way. So the you're not alone aspect of it really helped me knowing that all the ways I felt and thought, there was a whole community of people out there who felt the same way, who were aching to live authentically and lead themselves on that journey. That really helped. So being like getting to a point where I became probably the best good girl I could be, like no one had a bad word to say about me. And then going through the pain of feeling like when I needed those around me to be there, None of them were, or very few were. That caused a certain kind of like snap inside of me where none of that stuff mattered anymore. Like being seen as good by them. It didn't matter anymore because I could see that it was just conditional love and support. And it wasn't love and support for me, for the core of who I am. And 
having gone through that snap, now moving forward in my life, anytime that I would experience any kind of pressure, that same force that came from within me that said, you can lead yourself to the life that you want, would step in and say, remember the beauty of this and remember how bad it felt to fall for the pressures of those around you. So that really helped. So the tuning in, the the giving myself and my feelings and my thoughts and my opinions and my autonomy more power over my life than I gave those around me, that ultimately is what what caused that. Yeah, and you you talk about this in some detail in Welcome Home. Yes. The idea of building your home in other people or other cultures, other families, other places, rather than building it inside of yourself. In careers, in identities, yes. Yeah, totally, all of that. And then the alternative to that is this self-exploration that you describe, which involves figuring out what's true for you, what we might call authenticity. And then alongside all of that, I think there's this kind of uh, underlying feeling of intrinsic worthiness that's really important here. Yes. You're worthy for who you are as opposed to what you can do out in the world or for what you can do for other people, right? And that feels like a really key difference here in the story that you're telling. The first half, your worth was more extrinsic. It was more outside in. Can I fit in by being this good girl? Can I abide by these norms? Can I uh, perform my part in the play with other people, right? And then in the second half, it, it started becoming more intrinsic. You talk about building a home inside of yourself. And I'm wondering what you found when you started looking inside in that way. Because once we go okay, I don't want to be driven by those external things. I I don't want to just fit in and play my part anymore. I want to be driven by something more internal to me, more meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. Well, we have to find something else, right? And, And what helped you find that? Because a lot of people, when they break down those external systems, they feel like, well, now I've got nothing. I'm just unmoored in life. And there's a fear associated with that, right? Oh, yeah. There's a fear of being unanchored and undefined. I talk to I talk about that in the only constant actually. The beauty yeah. of being unanchored and undefined. Usually that scares us mm. to not be able to say, I belong to this group of people and I belong to this faith and I belong to this way of living. And mm-hmm. now that you're not belonging to any of that and you're exploring what you could belong to. That's beautiful, but it is scary. Of course it's scary. You have to trust in yourself that even if you fall flat on your face, and the worst case scenario happens, that you have the ability to get yourself back up and try something else. You know, that's that's life is trying new things and learning what you like and what you don't like and what you want and don't want. I used to always believe that the more I do, the more worthy I am. I do, therefore I deserve, as opposed to I am, therefore I deserve. Like I struggled for years with having an hour or two during the day where I had nothing to do. Like how do I fill my time? What more can I do? Here, I'll tutor a couple more people. I'll do this for that person. I'll sit on the phone for hours with my friend and help her solve her problems. Like, I didn't know how to just be. Because in moments of just being, when I didn't know who I was outside of the reflection of myself that I saw in other people's eyes who I was trying to please. So the more I did to please them, the more positive feedback I got. But then when I wasn't doing anything, what positive feedback am I gonna get? I have nobody's eyes to see myself through. I had my own eyes to see myself through and I never saw any value because I'd been trained that the more you do, the more you are and the more you deserve. And so, Now I'm very comfortable with just sitting and not doing anything. And that's very, very uncomfortable for many people. Mm. I remember years ago when I was going through this struggle of like just being exhausted from running and running and running and running. And the way I describe it 
is I was running a race that had no finish line. I was always exhausted, but there was no end in sight. So that's when I started asking myself, who am I without everything that I do? And I had no answer. I couldn't answer that question. Like, who am I without everything that I do? Who am I without my education? Who am I without my work and my work ethic? Who am I without being the good friend and the good speaker? And the who am I? Like, do I see value in myself outside of that? And I, I could logically tell you I do see value inside myself. But if I sat with myself and said, let's take away the university degrees, let's take away the teaching career, let's take away the writing career, let's take away the way that people see you, let's take away everything that you've done for other people, would you say you have value? And the answer was no. I couldn't feel a value inside of me. In moments when I felt that I was at my worst, I started getting these messages, I would say, from inside that said, what makes you worthy is that you are a good person, that when you feel like someone's in pain, you immediately want to help. When you say something, you promise something, you keep your promise when you see a small gesture of love, you're just overwhelmed with happiness. I started getting these like inklings from within that were defining me not through any kind of accomplishment. They weren't attached to any age or stage in life. They were just things that made me me, like that made me stand out to myself, that and in a way, it was like an ache from inside of me saying, like, hello, we've been here for so long waiting for you to see the value in all of the things that you have within and, and you haven't. You've been leaving yourself to achieve and say that you have value, but we've been here all along. And even when we're not perfect, even when, even when we don't, you know, sometimes you do make a promise that you don't keep. Sometimes you do express that anger but that that's just a part of who you are and so I started getting those messages and that's what led me to writing welcome home in the first place because it was like I'm leaving myself to be welcomed in every other person's home in my life when I had no idea how to come home to myself I had no idea how to spend that hour or two on my own because I felt like I was out of place with myself. So I was like, I've been building my home and other people for so long. It's about time for me to build that home inside of me. And so that's when I started writing down, like, what is it that makes a home? Self-acceptance and self-awareness, that has to be your foundation. You have to know who you are. You have to accept who you are. And you have to be aware of what made you who you are throughout your history up to now. And then I thought, what are the things we normally go to other people for that make us feel better than spending time on our own? It's love. So what can I give myself? It's self-love. I need that in my home. It's forgiveness. But what about self-forgiveness? What about sitting with ourselves and apologizing for all the years that we spent living in survival mode, thinking that that's the best way we could live. So for someone listening, if you are looking for that answer, how do I feel that inner worth without any of my accomplishments or anything external to me? Sit with yourself in silence and close your eyes and just force yourself to stay and be with yourself for a few minutes and ask yourself, who am I? And I promise you, by the end of the few minutes that you do this, you're going to have all of these messages from within you that have been waiting to be heard by you bubble up to the surface. And you're probably going to get emotional and you're probably going to feel 
Like I've been so far away from myself for so long and that's going to kickstart your journey to start figuring out who you are and to discover who you are. What do you like and not like? What do you believe and not believe? How have you been living your life up to this point, but just either on autopilot or based on other people's rules? And then what are your rules for yourself? Like it's a journey, but it's going to start with you saying, I have been so afraid of just being with myself. And I know that that fear comes from a place of not knowing how to be with myself and not feeling like I have the right to actually spend time with myself because maybe that's too selfish or too self-involved or whatever the words are that you hear. Not humble enough. Yeah. Yeah. And then just say, I'm going to spend time with myself the same way I would spend getting to know someone else. Start there. Anyone who's listening to a show like ours knows mental health challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define who you are. If you're navigating something difficult, one of the best things you can do is get some high-quality help, and the Dr. John Delaney Show is a great place to go for that. If you like being well, I think you'll really enjoy Dr. John's show. It was recently in the top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is just an incredible accomplishment. Dr. John has a PhD in counseling, he's been working with people for over 20 years, and the show has really a very cool format. Real people call into the show and he walks them through how to make good choices related to difficult situations and common challenges, like facing depression, overcoming anxiety, or connecting with other people. You can send them your questions by leaving a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or emailing askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. It's a great resource for people and a really nice compliment to the work we do here on Being Well. Listen to The Dr. John Delaney Show wherever you get your podcasts, or follow the link on our website. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeingWell. As somebody who has a long history of painful acne and related skin issues, I know how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's where our sponsor, OneSkin, comes in. Most skincare available on the market is designed to provide a temporary reduction in symptoms without addressing many of the underlying causes. OneSkin's OS01 line of products targets cellular senescence. This is a key hallmark of aging, directly with their proprietary OS01 peptide. The OS01 peptide can reduce the number of senescent cells by up to 50%, strengthening the skin barrier, improving skin health markers, and reducing visible signs of aging. I've been using their OS01 face topical supplement, and I love how simple it is. You just cleanse, you pat your skin dry, and apply twice daily. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After you purchase, they'll ask where you heard about them, and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. So there are these, these two poles to any relationship, right? And I use the word relationship very broadly here. It could be a romantic relationship, but really... Any people doing anything together is a kind of relationship. We're in relationship with our friends, our communities, our work, all of that. Mm -hmm. And the first one of these polls is intimacy. Closeness, right? Emotional closeness, relationality, being really involved in something. And when people think of a relationship, they often really emphasize 
the intimacy part of it, right? Mm-hmm. But there's this other really important part of it, and that's autonomy. And I think the autonomy gets left out sometimes. So it's the ability to stand on your own as an individual that then comes into this relationship with another person or another thing. And most of the time, most people, uh, myself included, are a little bit like Popeye here. They've got this really overdeveloped right bicep and absolutely no left bicep at all. So they're either really good at the intimacy, but they need more autonomy to balance it out, or they're really good at the autonomy, but they're totally uncomfortable with intimacy. And I think that a lot of what you're describing here, Nashua, is that the first part of your life was defined by this like total intimacy, a real full giving over of yourself to these other systems, building homes and other people, all of that. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you've increasingly found more comfort with autonomy. You've been able to stand on your own, find out what that means to you, uh, come into a relationship with yourself as an individual, and then from that, be intimate with others in a way that probably felt to you more like a meeting of equals than uh, feeling sort of subservient or overwhelmed by what's going on. And that's a process that I think so many people can empathize with. That journey of developing more autonomy and more of a sense of worthiness as an individual rather than only as a piece of something bigger. Mm -hmm. And then when you step into that, your relationships become so much more equivalent and you get to express yourself and say what you need and uh, ask for things for other people's and um, all that really beautiful stuff. Now that you put it that way, when you first started talking about intimacy and autonomy, I was like, intimacy without autonomy breeds codependency, which is not good at all. Yeah, for sure. And autonomy without intimacy breeds hyper-independence. Yeah, totally. Like I remember when I first put Welcome Home out, but people were telling me, well, what if you like what if you build a home within yourself and then does that mean that you don't need people like we all need people and i'm like no i never said that that means you don't need people i said it means that you don't depend on people to give you what you need it means that you know who you are you stand strong in that you know your worth you know which people's home to visit and which people to say i'm going to keep a healthy distance from you so for me, that journey of going from complete overgiving of myself, just being on the intimacy side of just giving and, and not having the autonomy and going to the complete opposite side of things. When I started forming relationships with people after that, it definitely was a struggle for me to let go of the autonomy that I had. It was led by fear that if I let go of this autonomy, I might fall back into the other spectrum. And that's when I discovered that falling back into just focusing on what I'm giving to people as opposed to what I'm giving to myself, that doesn't mean anything bad about me. It could mean that I fell back into a pattern that felt very familiar to me, that felt very safe to me. Like, I gave myself the message that I shouldn't judge myself for being human, for trying new things. Yeah, it's it's the lack of self-judgment and the presence of self-compassion. And also realizing that opening up and being vulnerable and then risking other people taking advantage of that or not reciprocating that doesn't mean my vulnerability is wrong and it doesn't mean my openness is wrong and my willingness to form a healthy relationship is wrong. It just means that I was dealing with someone who didn't welcome any of that. Well, we live in a culture where, let's face it, most of the dating advice that you find out, they're not just dating, but advice on human relationships in general tells you the one who cares the least holds the most power. And I think that's BS, I think that is a really toxic and damaging message for us to send. Like it's telling you, keep your guard up and form relationships at the same time. It doesn't happen that way. That's it's that hyper dependent independence piece where you're like, I don't need anybody, but really I'm aching 
for people to see me and hear me and talk to me and connect to me. But I'm not going to let anybody know that I'm alone and I'm fine with that. I'm happy. And it's like, are you happy truly with not having genuine human connections in your life? Or are you living through fear of what could happen if you were to open up and be hurt again the same way that you were in the past. So for me, navigating that journey, let's remove self-judgment and replace it with self-compassion. Let's remove negatively defining myself based on the way that people choose to welcome or not welcome my true self, my vulnerability, my willingness to take risks and trust them. Let's remove and let's replace that with saying, I am proud of being somebody who opens up and who's vulnerable and who's willing to trust and who's willing to get back up. So it was like, I don't want to define what it means to try to strike a balance between autonomy and intimacy. I don't want to define myself based on what, where I fall on that spectrum as I try to navigate what's best for me in these new relationships that I'm forming. Nobody's sitting there marking you. Nobody's sitting there. There's Again, you're not comparing yourself to anyone. You watch people on social media and you think just because they present their life in a certain way and they speak a certain way, then that must mean their life is on an upward trajectory. But no one's life is. I still go through days where I find myself falling into old patterns and I have to become aware of that and say, whoa, like we we really abandoned ourselves in this way. Let's self-correct. But does it mean that I abandoned myself a little bit, that there's something wrong with me? No, it means that I'm human. Maybe the 30 plus years of my life that I lived a certain way, knowing that I want to change them is very different from actively changing them. Like I always say the poison of pain took time to enter you. It will take time to leave you. So if you spent an X number of years with certain patterns and conditioning, just becoming aware that those need to change isn't the change. It's going through the journey of change and cleansing. Mm. Well, I love that line. I think that's a, that's a beautiful line for starters. Thank you. And something I just want to flag here that I think is important to say is that the kind of caring that you're describing that intimate relationship where you really do step into it with what I sometimes call just like the give a shit factor. You know, you actually care, you authentically care about something. That is a brave stance because yes, oh, yeah. you do open yourself up to harm. Absolutely. The person who cares the most is more vulnerable, but that doesn't make them weak. And I think that for people who are navigating this kind of territory, there's, there's a huge space for giving yourself some credit for the vulnerability that you're exposing yourself to yes. and for the willingness to take that kind of brave stance. Absolutely. I agree with you 1000%. I think if you surround yourself with people who view having emotions and having needs as weakness, you're going to judge yourself because that's the environment you're in. Your environment really, really affects you. You can know who you are fully. You can be in complete self-actualization. If you put yourself in an environment day after day that tells you that who you are and how you are is wrong, you will start believing that. It's like if I water a plant that I own with dirty water every single day, sure, the first few days I might not notice a difference in its growth. It might be able to filter that out in some way. But if I water it with that dirty water day after day after day after day, that's the environment you're placing yourself in. It's, it's going to be absorbing that water and all the dirt that's in it, and it's going to become sick. If you put yourself... 30 days in a month, let's say 29 days in a month, in a really healthy environment that reflects you back to yourself, great. You're going to continue to grow and flourish and evolve 
one day out of the month, that might even make you feel more strong in who you are. But if you reverse that and you're spending 29 days in that really toxic environment that doesn't see you and makes you feel like something's wrong with you, and then one day you go and you spend it and you feel seen and heard, you know what happens on that one day? You get emotional. One of your indications that you're in a really toxic environment is if you go out into the world and somebody gives you a small, kind compliment, or they say thank you, or they say, you look really good today, and you get emotional because you're so overwhelmed with that kindness, that's an indication that what you're surrounding yourself with is really toxic because these things that are... You're not used to receiving that. Yeah. Yeah. So pay attention, pay attention to who you're surrounding yourself with, who you're giving access to into your life and Mm. into your thoughts and into your emotions and into your definition of who you are. Those things are extremely important if you are aiming to live an authentic life because living an authentic life in a place that tells you your authenticity is wrong is impossible. It's impossible. It's going to be a constant struggle of, I know who I am, and I know I shouldn't take this personally, and I know this, and I know that, but this treatment that I'm getting is really hurtful. You recover, and then you're putting yourself through the treatment again. You recover, and you're putting yourself through the treatment again, and so you're going to be exhausted by the end because you're living in conflict. Yeah, I think that so much of this gets back to just our ability to make a choice at all about something as opposed to just being bound by the habits that we fall into. Yes. And again, getting back to your story here, uh, before there's that chronic overgiving, willingness to buy into the story others are telling you about you. And over time, you established those healthier boundaries. You become more autonomous, become more grounded in that authentic self of yourself that we've been talking about. And then maybe along the way, you find some communities that are a little bit more supportive of you in the ways that you're Mm -hmm. describing, where the balance of days is going from 29 rough ones and one good one to more like 50-50 to, you know, maybe mostly good days over time. Mm -hmm. You're going through that whole process. And then this moment comes along when you have the opportunity to make the choice to be brave and expose yourself emotionally with another person or in another situation. And this can really feel like just falling back into those old patterns, right? But this time, you're making the choice to do that. You're stepping into it. It's volitional, as opposed to just being made to do it, either by the environment that you're living in or by your own internalized patterns of behavior. And like for me, that choice is everything. When you choose to do something in that way, it's so different from it coming from a place of just habit where it's just like the water you swim in or the wallpaper of your life because it's coming from such a more authentic place where the choice is driven by your self-expression as opposed to being just like given to you by another person. Mm. So I said a lot there, but for starters, I think that's just a, a really wonderful process that we have available to us in life. But also I'm wondering what supported you in the bravery aspect of it. Because it's very brave to step back into that vulnerability when you've built up the walls of the house a little bit. It's it's a lot easier to just stay inside. What really helped me is understanding that needing other people isn't weakness. It's actually a basic human need. Yeah, totally. Needing to have healthy, happy relationships in your life that celebrate you, that reflect you, that listen to you, that really care about you, that isn't weakness. Yeah, That's something we all need. And a person who tells you they don't need it is in need of it the most, and they're scared of it the most. So it didn't matter how hard I tried to be that autonomous person who just never needed anybody. I had that internal ache of wanting to feel connected, wanting to feel like I could just be myself and share who I am and feel equally as home with someone as I do with myself. And again, you go through the contemplation of, does that mean that I'm something's missing in my life, like something is wrong with me for needing those things. And it's like, no, it's a biological need of yours. So understand. Yeah, it just means you're a human. Yeah, 
needing relationships in your life, that's a basic human need. There is nothing wrong with you for needing that. There is nothing wrong with you for having expectations of people to show up for you. It's wrong when we expect the wrong people to show up for us in ways that they can't and they're not willing to show up for us. It's really easy to find someone to spend every day with. It's really easy to find someone to travel with. It's really easy to find someone to go out and have fun with them and with your friends with. Any person out there, if you really want to get that done, you will find somebody who's willing to do that with you. What's really hard is on that day that you're spending together, you have love and connection and vulnerability. You have mutual respect for each other. You have mutual care for each other and how you're doing and your well-being. It's really hard to find someone who's not only willing to buy a house with you or build a house with you, but build a home with you, where the two of you feel like you're important in that home, where the two of you co-lead and co-take responsibilities and co-decide on things as opposed to having the relationship being lopsided and one person is in complete control and the other person is just following. Those things are really hard, but expecting them is not wrong. I always say, what is your purpose of being in a relationship? Not just a romantic one. What's the purpose of relationships? It's connection. It's, it's mutual care. It's feeling like you're alive and seen and heard. So if the relationships you have in your life make you feel like those basics of being seen and heard and connected are too much, those aren't your relationships. Those are things you need to leave behind and find new ones. So many people think that having those expectations means that they're asking for too much, especially if they spent their entire lives not receiving those things. So they're like, well, I lived most of my life without those things. Maybe it is true that I'm asking for too much. And it's like, no, just because you've been living on scraps of love and attention your entire life, it doesn't mean that getting the whole table or the whole meal is too much. That's what everybody deserves. Everyone so be brave enough to ask for that in your life. When I think back to the number of years I lived in survival mode where it was just like, I just need to get by. I'm not going to ask for more than what a person around me is willing to give me. I think, wow, like I spent so many years not feeling like I could fully be myself and not feeling like I'm in alignment with myself. And there's a sadness that comes with that. And there's also a push to not continue to repeat that cycle where I'm like, you know, I've wasted this many years, not in a self-judgmental way, but I'm not going to waste the next 30 years also living the same way because it's unbearable to live in a way where you're just trying to get by. Yeah, we could do a whole other conversation on what you've just said, right? Uh, to flag just a couple of things in it. For starters, I think we've really got to change how we approach having healthy expectations, particularly in relationships, in the culture just in general. Because we use terms or phrases like, you're just so needy, you're too needy. And we've turned needy into this really bad word, but the reality is that everyone has needs. And in a healthy adult relationship, we have shared expectations of our behavior. Like there are these basic relational requirements. I have expectations for Elizabeth, uh, my partner's behavior, and she has expectations of mine that we're going to be generally kind. We're going to support each other. We're basically going to do what we say we're going to do, right? Healthy adult relationships are inherently conditional in this way because we have those expectations. There are conditions. If somebody violates them over and over and they aren't held accountable and they aren't interested in correcting them, then it's not like you have too many needs for asking for those things. The problem is their behavior, not your needs. It's true. And I think that's that's kind of part of what you're saying here. We get into relationships that include expectations by asking for those kinds of relationships, by not accepting relationships that aren't that way. And if like you think it's too much to ask for, you're not going to ask for it, which means you're unlikely to ever get it. And it's a really unfortunate reality, but I do think it's the reality here. 
How many times do you hear someone talk about a crappy relationship that they're in, but then they say, but at least they don't do this. At least they don't do that. And it's like, get rid of the at least. Yeah. And just look at reality as it is. Are you happy with this person or are you settling because you think that's the most that you can get? So as we come toward the end here, uh, one other thing that I wanted to ask you about. There's a lot of research out there on relationships, and particularly research done by people like John and Julie Gottman of the Gottman Institute, that says that the long-term health of a relationship isn't based on whether or not there's conflict with the other person, because conflict can actually be kind of healthy inside of a relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I have needs, Nejwa, you have needs. If we're interacting with each other, we're both sort of trying to figure out those needs, right? We're trying to get our different needs met, and your needs are different from mine. I want different things than what you want. So we've got to figure out how to manage those together. And so we need to figure out how to negotiate and compromise with each other in different ways. And this means that the health of a relationship isn't about whether or not there's conflict. It's about how we handle that conflict when it appears. Can we learn how to compromise and repair and learn to forgive each other? Or can are we solving this problem by ignoring it or sitting there in stony silence or whatever it is that we're doing, right? And you focus on forgiveness as a really major topic and a key skill. And I really like how you frame forgiveness, not as a gift that we give to another person, but as a gift that we give to ourselves. And so I was hoping that you could just speak about that a little bit. To me, forgiveness is not about saying that what the person did was okay. It's not about saying that you're finally healed from it. It's not about saying that you are at peace with it as in, Whatever happened, happened, and it doesn't affect you anymore. That's not what forgiveness is, in my view. In my view, forgiveness is not allowing what someone else did to you to continue to dictate how you live your life in the present moment, Mm. leaving it behind you in the past where it belongs. The pain that they threw at you is not yours to reconcile with. It's theirs to reconcile with. You have to just heal from whatever it is that they threw at you. Yeah. I describe it as if somebody were to throw an arrow at you, you can fully recognize that it stemmed from them. They intended to hurt you or they inflicted pain upon you. You can tell yourself all of those things, but it's not going to take away from the fact that you have an arrow inside of you that needs that you go to the hospital and get it removed. Forgiveness, in part, is doing that. It's saying, I'm going to give myself what I need to the extent of what my ability is and what my control is. I will always look back to this moment and say what they did to me was wrong. I will always look back to this moment and say what they did to me was not something that I would do to someone I love or that I would accept from someone who says they love me to do to me. So the next time you think about needing to forgive someone, think about it as your willingness to move on from what they did to you and continue to be the person that you are. And instead of judging yourself as, well, maybe they they hurt me because I was in the way. And it's like, you have to separate what people choose to do to you from who you are, because no amount of being yourself gives someone the right to inflict pain upon you. No amount of you being true to yourself and being honest with them and being there for them and being vulnerable with them gives them the right to say, oh, like she's vulnerable, she's weak, she's naive, she's got no experience, therefore I have the right to betray her or I have the right to take advantage of her or lie to her. No, you have to separate who you are from what someone else chooses to do to you based on their perception of who you are and what you deserve. So to say I forgive means I move forward from what they did to me. I don't stay stuck on it. I don't wait for them to feel the pain of what they put me through. I don't wait for them to come and apologize and validate for me what they put me through. I know what they put me through. I lived through the pain of it. Moving forward, I choose 
to not continue to guard myself because I'm so worried that someone else will hurt me the same way that they hurt me. I will choose to deal with my traumas and triggers and insecurities and learn how to set boundaries so that once I do allow more people to enter into my life, I don't allow them to have that kind of power and influence in the way that they hurt me, where I can be more selective with the people that I welcome into my life. All of that is forgiveness. Nejwa, thanks so much for doing this with me today. I think that that was just like a beautiful note to end our conversation on. And in general, I just really appreciate the nuance that you approach these ideas with, which can often get lost, uh, particularly on places like social media. You have a very large social media following, particularly on Instagram. I think you have like one and a half million followers or something like that. And so it's just really great that you're approaching these ideas with so much thoughtfulness over there. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this conversation and you ask really good questions and thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had a wonderful time today talking with Nejwa Zabian about her recent work, including her books, Welcome Home, Conversations on Letting Go, and the upcoming The Only Constant, which will be coming out in March of 2024, so be on the lookout for that. We covered a bunch of topics, including authentic self-expression, the balance of intimacy and autonomy in relationships, how intimacy is inherently courageous, uh, what we can really expect from other people, and generally breaking away from the systems that we've become a part of that are keeping us in a box that is just a few sizes too small. I really appreciated how open Nejwa was in talking about her personal experience as an immigrant, somebody who had to assimilate into a culture, somebody who's gone through a lot of experiences in their own life where they felt isolated and not a part of something. And then the journey that she's gone on to build a home inside of herself, to find what's authentic to her, to feel increasingly comfortable in her own skin, to feel like the way that she is expressing herself on the outside lines up more and more with the person that she is on the inside. And we talked about how to achieve that in our lives. One of the major themes of the conversation was the balance of intimacy and autonomy that appears inside of our relationships, how most people are overweighed toward either intimacy on the one hand or autonomy on the other. They're really, really good at having a lot of space between them and other people and keeping their walls high and tight, or they're really, really good at diving headfirst into a relationship or into another person and really sacrificing of themselves for the benefit of other people. But it's really hard to find that middle path where we are both secure in ourselves and stable and grounded and feel like we are taking care of our own needs, while also being willing, on the other hand, to be courageous, to be brave, to step into a relationship fully, and to be open to the vulnerability that is inherent in that experience. Because being intimate, of course, inherently opens us up to harm. When we care about how somebody thinks about us or how somebody feels about us, yes, there is an inherent giving of influence to that person. And we want to be really judicious and careful about the people that we give that kind of influence to. And what really supports people in this process of being both intimate and autonomous is the development of an authentic sense of self-worth, where you value yourself the way that you would value a good friend. And if a good friend came to you and described the things that they were going through. And you said to them something like, wow, like that's really inappropriate, or wow, you can't stand for that, or oh, you are you are too good of a person for that situation or for those people or for those experiences. And Nejwa talked really openly about coming into conflict with the groups that she was a part of, with the culture that she grew up in, with the religious framework that she grew up under, and how she went through a process of unraveling the stories attached to it about what it meant to be a good person, in her case, particularly a good woman in that cultural context. And one of the things that I really appreciated was how she emphasized that these stories are intricately woven into who we are. 
particularly when we grow up with them. And just as it took time for that story to be written for you, it's going to take you time to write a new story for yourself. These are not issues that we deal with overnight. These are big, elaborate frameworks that we've internalized inside of ourselves. And it's really normal to fall into old patterns of behavior. But a really problematic part of the falling into an old pattern process is when we intensely shame and blame ourselves for falling back into that pattern. When the truth is that these patterns are powerful, we're going to fall into them sometimes. It's okay. And you can actually give yourself a lot of credit just for being able to recognize that you're back in that pattern, which is something that you probably weren't able to do some time ago. Toward the end of the conversation, we talked about forgiveness and how relationships are successful, not based on whether or not there's conflict in them, but based on how people are able to manage that conflict when it appears. And I really love Nejwa's framework of forgiveness, which is very similar to the idea of disentangled forgiveness that I talked about with Rick in the book Resilient. Because we have just this really problematic cultural framework around forgiveness, where we talk about forgiveness as this like gift that we give to other people. Or the person who is willing to forgive means that they're giving their power to somebody else. Or we say, if you forgive somebody, it means that you're okay with what happened to you. And none of that is true. None of that is actually in the idea of forgiveness itself. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself. It's saying, I will no longer allow this thing to have power over me, to invade my mind and remain. I know what happened to me. I know that it was a problem. I know that this person shouldn't have done that. I'm not waiting to hear these things from them. I'm giving this gift to myself of letting this thing go. And that in itself, I think, is such a powerful expression of self-worth. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Nejwa. Again, her recent work is Welcome Home, Conversations on Letting Go, and The Only Constant, which is coming out in 2024. And I've included links to those offerings in the description of today's podcast. Also, you can find her on Instagram, where she has a very large Instagram following, and I'll link to that as well. If you'd like to support us here at Being Well, the best way to do that is by subscribing to the podcast wherever you're listening to it now on, subscribing to my YouTube channel, and hey, maybe even leaving a rating and a positive review on iTunes. That would really help us out. Also, you can tell somebody else about the show. It's truly the best way that we have to reach new people. And if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple of dollars a month, you can support the show and get a bunch of bonuses in return. Until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.